Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello there. Welcome to Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. Dr. Ross Green here, as always, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Um, Special treat on today's program. We are going to be speaking with uh, Matt Carlson, who is the principal at Georgetown Central School, in Georgetown, Maine. Um, That's just a little east of Bath, Maine. And Georgetown Central School is one of the schools that have been participating in the uh, project um, we have going on in the state of Maine where um, about a dozen schools are implementing solving problems collaboratively. Um, And um, Georgetown is one of these schools that has, um, well, they're near the end of their training. So what you're going to hear Mr. Carlson talking about is the training that he received and perhaps even some boosters um, from me, but especially um, what they've been struggling with and how they've overcome those struggles. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't call in and ask Mr. Carlson about um, his experiences with the model and what it's taken to make things fly in his building. Uh, And we'll hear a little bit about his building in the beginning as well. But the call-in number, if you want to ask me a question or Mr. Carlson a question about his experiences with the model, the number is 646-727-2691. And, um, well, welcome to the program, Mr. Carlson. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dr. Green. I appreciate you being with us today. My goal um, during this broadcasting season, this program airs from September through May, was to have on as many of the schools in the project as possible. And, um, well, I haven't been very diligent about making sure that that happens. And so uh, this program today and me talking with you about your school and how it's been going in your building uh, is my attempt to try to rectify the situation a little bit. I've been remiss, so I appreciate you being on. Tell us a little bit about Georgetown Central School. Uh, It's a relatively small school as these things go, but tell us about your school, and then we'll jump into your experiences with the model. Sure. Uh, Georgetown's an island school, like you said, off of Bath. Uh, We have approximately 90 students, uh, give or take a couple, depending on what time of year. We have kids moving in and moving out. Um, I have It's a pre-K to 6 school, and we have a teacher for every classroom, uh, as well as a guidance counselor, uh, full-time librarian, um, and computer uh, person. And we have a 
three or four ed techs and a full-time uh, special educator as well as a full-time principal. Well, that pretty did much you, tells the tale. Did you want more of that? What's that? No, I think that pretty much tells the tale. Want to tell us anything about your community? Yeah, like I said, it's an island school, so it's a very close-knit community um, made up of uh, a lot of artists and fishermen and uh, people who work off the island and BIW and Bath. Um, and it's they love their they love their little school and they support it 110. Uh, percent um, The population has been pretty um, has stayed around 90 for for a while. Um, at times they have uh, you know less less teachers depending on on how many students are there, but the the community supports uh, supports its school a lot. Uh, they're very supportive of uh, new initiatives and. Um, such as yours, I have you know I haven't heard anything um, to the contrary, but positive uh, thoughts about why we're doing this. Oh, good. How did you all and you and your school first learn about the model? Yeah, well, it started before I came on board. It's my second year as principal, um, and the principal before me, uh, Teresa Lash, and the guidance counselor, um, I believe heard you speak or were at one of your conferences and and heard about the opportunity of the grant from uh, the juvenile justice uh, people and he, they they both felt that it should be something they should go for. So the guidance counselor, Deb Thibodeau, uh, really spearheaded that and um, secured the grant and uh, they were very, the, the school was on board to, to start the process in the fall, um, not, not this past fall, but the fall before. 2011, um, but the principals switched in the summer, so I was coming on board, didn't know a lot, uh, to be honest with you, didn't know a lot about your um, your program, and, um, you know, had a lot to lot to learn, and uh, a lot to catch up uh, being new at a school, so we didn't start uh, the active process of the um, supervision piece with Kim until, I believe it was January of, of 2012. Um, so just to bring people up to speed here, um, the Juvenile Justice Advisory Group is the funding agency for this grant that uh, has us training uh, about a dozen schools throughout the state in the model. And um, uh, the Kim that uh, Mr. Carlson's talking about is one of the people who works on the grant to teach schools and staff in schools how to implement the model. Um, and so keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yes, no. Um, and i, I got to be honest with you, I don't know if you remember, we talked, I think it was end of October, early November of that year. And um, like I said, I hadn't known a lot about your program. I was, I was coming from a, I was a high school principal, so I was coming from a, a totally different place when in terms of discipline and um, students who struggle as far as, you know, I saw a lot of it. And, and I kept saying to myself, does he know the school he's, he's taken on? Because we're, we're such a small school and it's like a, a small, uh, close-knit family. But at first I was like, geez, I don't know if this really fits. And as I got to know the, the school community and, and the students and, and the tr- through training with him, I finally realized, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be the big, the big huge problem we all you know, worry about happening in our schools with, with students who are aggressive or whatnot, but it's 
this, the repeat offenders, the kids that we always see that always have the same issues come up that it, that it dawned on me, you know, this is this is ideal for for our school and um you know, I finally feel like we're we've rounded the corner, we're getting to where we can really implement it school wide. What and um be, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say we began our um we began our trainings with Kim as a whole staff. Um and prior to actually having our first supervision piece we all did a book study of your latest book. Um and that was a good way, a good jumping off point because everybody had the same language. Um I'll probably come back to, to that if we talk about things that I might change, but um the group size was a little bit too large, um mm-hmm. I think initially. Well, and I think that we encourage schools to start with a core group of maybe somewhere between six to eight people. Mm-hmm. And with your staff being as small as it is, I think that people tried to give it a shot with um, the whole school. And it sounds like, and you and I did speak about this previously, sounds like you felt that that may have been a bit ambitious to try to start with everybody. Yeah, I think so. And not really knowing uh, the dynamics of, of our school yet, um, you know, have, if I were to start this process now, I would definitely keep it a lot smaller. It's just more manageable. Um, and, you know, I think a group can, even though the teachers know each other, it's still a group, and the group needs to go through a process to to get real comfortable at at your model because it's, it requires a lot of kind of reflecting and feedback. So I think in a big group, as you know, that's always, more, I think, more difficult. Um, so if, if you had a smaller group of core teachers that, uh, you know, that I think it just would have, maybe we would have rounded that corner a little bit quicker, but I do think we're, we're close in that, if not there yet. So, Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, with people who, and this is not exactly what you were saying, but there are always going to be people in a building who are more enthusiastic about the model and for whom it's a better fit, and people in a building who are less enthusiastic about the model and for whom it is not as good a fit. Mm-hmm. And I guess my attitude is you got to deal with it at some point. If And, you know, there's no algorithm here. I'm always recommending that you have some of the people who you anticipate being less enthusiastic be part of the core group and deal with it early on. Mm-hmm. But it, I'm always saying you can deal with it now or you can deal with it later if the core group uh, consists only of people who are wildly enthusiastic about the model, what I've come to call a uh, you know, solving problems collaboratively love fest, <laughs> then you are sort of delaying dealing with the fact that there are people in the building who are not going to be so enthusiastic and who are not exactly going to take to this like bees to honey. Um, Got to deal with it at some point. Uh, I guess I tend to prefer dealing with it early, but um, that doesn't mean that that's the only way to go. But certainly the larger, I've seen many people in buildings try to start with the entire building in a building that is significantly larger than yours with significantly larger staff, and I'm always advising against that. Because there's going to be, while there is going to be some initial enthusiasm about the model because the ideals are appealing to many people, then they're going to start trying to do the ALSIP and do Plan B, and it's not going to go well early on because those are acquired, those, those are skills that take some time to get good at. And then the enthusiasm that we had in the beginning turns 
a whole lot less enthusiastic because people are not feeling successful. So these are sort of some of the ins and outs of trying to do change something fundamental in a building like the school discipline program. Right. I think um, I think for us, um, some of why, what slowed us down, and I shared with this this with you the other day. I I really believe that um, teaching is such a it, it's such a private kind of craft that there's not a lot of people in your room giving you feedback. And I think for us, I can only speak for our experiences. Um, getting getting feedback right off the bat was difficult for some of us just because we weren't used to it. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think educators are always um, uh, comfortable with that just because it's not really part of our, it's really not part of education. Uh, you know, you see an administrator come in and evaluate you once or twice a year and you may not see anybody again in, in some of the bigger schools. So it was just, I, I for me, having a social work background, I think that that's kind of where I went with it, that, that it wasn't that people were opposed to the model in my building, but just not maybe comfortable with with actually having those conversations with kids because they don't, they don't have to. Um, you know, traditional uh, discipline has been, you know, you deal with it in your classroom. When you feel like that's no longer available to you, you send them out, and then someone else deals with them and sends them back. So uh, this model really, your model is uh, completely different uh, from that. Uh, so I think that was part of it for for some of my teachers. Um, I think I have most of my teachers are they're they're good with the the belief in the model, um, but I think it was just the actual practicing practicing it because we just we always kept saying we want to see someone actually do it. Um, if teachers don't like to do anything, they're not going to be uh, very good at and. Uh, a lot of us don't like not to be a teacher, but a lot of us don't like to try something unless we know we can succeed. And um, for us, that was the biggest piece we struggled with. We just wanted to see it, and then if we could see it, we thought we could uh, adapt it to to our school. Um, but I think, looking back, part of uh, getting good at it is, is muddling through. Like I've heard you talk about that, it's kind of a messy process, and um, once you start seeing it quick for a couple of kids, it, it, it starts to make sense. So you're saying that two things were hard, for, uh, actually probably more than two, but two of the ones that you just mentioned, uh, and the one that I'm accustomed to seeing people struggling with is um, having these kinds of conversations with kids. They're just not mm -hmm. accustomed to it. But you're also saying that people were not accustomed, your staff were not accustomed to necessarily having a lot of these conversations with each other either um, right. as relates to sort of well, tell us a little bit more about that, if you would. Yeah, ex exactly. You're right on that. You know, teaching, teachers, especially in elementary school, they are going from the, the minute a student walks in the door until till they leave, and there's not a lot of uh, time for collaboration. Um, and so I think in education, teachers are, they have to do it themselves or it's not going to get done. And so there's not a lot of bouncing ideas off of even a student because you uh, you follow the rules, you broke this rule, this is what's going to happen. You may have a conversation about it, but the actual process of CPS it involves a lot of time, A, and it also, you know, involves um, repeated conversations because it, it doesn't necessarily always uh, wrap up the first time you speak to a student. So, um, you know, I just think it's 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 not something educators are, are accustomed to, not that they can't do it, it's just, I think it's just different them and um 
the thing I, I kind of joke with my staff is you guys are experts and uh, you're standing in front of your class all the time and, and, and you're, you're incredible mm-hmm. communicators. And this is just, you know, it's, it's similar. It's just in a different context that, you you know, you're not doing it in front of the whole class, taking a student aside, and you're really trying to make that connection. And my, my teachers are great at it, and they just, you know, just some of them just need a little more confidence, I think, in, in letting the model take hold. So tell us a little bit about the process your school went through from sort of the beginning where you're, all just learning about the model, and it sounds like it was a new model for you too, so you were learning right along with them. Mm-hmm. Um, from first learning about it uh, to where you're at now, give us a little bit of a sense of the process you all went through. I know that you said it was messy. It almost always is messy. Uh, I guess my attitude is people who work in education should be accustomed to messy at this point because almost everything's <laughs> messy, but... Um, discipline is sur- surely messy, and transforming a school's discipline program is surely messy. Tell us about the process you all went through with the messes along the way and how you overcame the hurdles. Sure, and I, I think we still have some hurdles up there, but I, I, like I said earlier, I, I feel like we've rounded the corner and really are starting to see uh, us get better at it and some benefits with, with certain students. Um but we, as I mentioned earlier, we did start um, with a full staff book review of your uh, your latest book, um, and we had uh, I think we did that over the course of three to four weeks. We had group discussions uh, about a couple chapters at a time. We tried a group. We tried an LSAT as a group. That was interesting uh, to have ten different opinions of of unsolved problems and, and lagging skills. Um, but it, w- it was a good process for us to go through, and then I believe we sent that to Kim. It was one of our first or second uh, initial meetings with Kim. She gave us some feedback on that. Um, so we, the whole group, my whole staff met with, with Kim for two sessions, and then um, the commitment was um, difficult for some people because it required uh, an hour after school, and, and since we were starting later in the year, we initially thought we had to be done with the with the, the 20 sessions by June, so we were going at a pretty fast clip, um, meeting every other week, sometimes every every week, um, and that that made it difficult for some of us to try to to learn the model and then actually try to do it with a student, get it to Kim, get some feedback on it. Um, so that kind of slowed us down initially, and uh, as I as you know, we had a death in our, our faculty in, in the March, so that really derailed us until uh, the end of the year. But we started this fall with a renewed uh, commitment yep. to the program. And uh, one thing for those people who are considering doing it or currently doing it that I found effective was we were doing our trainings with Cam after school, but we have um, late start Wednesdays with our staff. And so I started to carve some of those out for my staff so they didn't have to take their own time, and um, elementary school teachers as, as well as uh, secondary teachers are, you know, like I said, time is, is precious. So that helped a lot for our, our, my particular situation just because um, we, you know, we weren't doing it on our, on our necessarily on our own time after school. Um, it was something we all believed in, and, and I wanted to see happen, so, so I created that time for them. Another um, thing that we came up against uh, was was time 
uh, teachers finding time to have these conversations, and we, we struggled a lot with Kim. We're like, we just don't know when to get that done, and and so I uh, I offered as well as the guidance counselor, and 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 some of the other teachers said they would cover for people um, in their classroom to do have these start having these conversations with students once we reach that point, and. Um, I had a couple of people take me up on that, and that, that seemed to help. And, and this fall, we were still I was still offering that up, and you came to see us a, a few weeks back a month ago and, and mentioned um, that you that schools that are really doing it well carve out kind of 15 minutes a day. And I have some teachers now that are, are doing that, and that really helps just because you know you have that time each And each just to day. be clear with our listeners about that, um, which I hate to interrupt, but... No, go ahead. No. Um, a lot of the schools in the project are having every teacher in the building uh, commit to carving out 15 minutes a day to solving problems collaboratively with individual students. Um, and that's a lot of problem-solving time. But I find that not only do the kids love it, the teachers love knowing that they've got a time carved out every day mm-hmm. to solve problems with kids. Yeah. Um, teachers really like knowing that they have that time to do that. Right. But keep going. Sorry. No, and uh, I just mentioned some of the things we, we came up against is initially, since it's such a different model, and I was guilty of this as well when we were starting to look at lagging skills and then trying to really key in on the um, unsolved problem is um, it's real easy to just, it's really to focus on behavior, which it needs to be behavior free, and uh, I think for for several sessions we were just kind of stuck there, and I was guilty of it as well as it was hard to to really come up with what the unsolved problem was without uh, talking about the behavior. And I remember talking with one of my um, teachers, and I was saying I want to have this conversation with a student. She goes, "Well, what's the unsolved problem?" And I told her, and she goes, "You're focused on the behavior. This is what it. This is a way to take the behavior out." And once she said that, and I tried it, I was like, "Yeah, I'm so old. That was that's exactly what I needed to do." And I, I think for my staff, we there were several of us that were uh, that needed that that needed to really look at taking removing the behavior from the unsolved problem. And once we did that, and once I did that, it boy it makes a lot of sense. It's we, huge. And just just to make sure that our listeners are up to speed on that as well. Um, a lot of people want to make the behavior into the unsolved problem. They, and that's everybody's. That's, that's not everybody's, but that's most people's training. We are mostly trained to um, focus on behavior and toward extinguishing behaviors that we don't like and um, encouraging replacement behaviors that we would like better. And that's what a lot of school discipline programs are oriented around as well. And that's why school discipline programs and behavior intervention plans are so oriented toward behavior and motivating adaptive behavior and giving kids um, good reason not to exhibit maladaptive behavior. In this model, it focuses on the problems giving rise to the behaviors that we don't like, And rather than extinguishing behaviors we don't like and encouraging behaviors that we do, we're focused as the means of reducing challenging behavior. 
this model is focused instead on solving the problems that are giving rise to the behaviors in the first place. As I always say, you can reward and punish till the cows come home uh, if you're focused on behavior, but until you solve the problems that are giving rise to the behaviors, uh, you haven't really accomplished very much yet. I find that there's a lot of educators who are very frustrated with the school discipline program, even though they keep doing it, mostly because they're not exactly sure what else to do. Sorry, sorry to interrupt on that point, but couldn't resist. No, you're absolutely right, and uh, I hope you don't mind sharing me sharing a conversation that you took part in just the other day, and it was really obvious to me with that first grade student that we all talked with. Um, he was having issues standing in line. He was kicking and hitting um, in, in line, and the way they line up in the classes by alphabetical order. So either if they went from the beginning of the alphabet, he was always fourth, or if they started from the end of the alphabet, he was always ninth out of 14. And in talking with him, we, we realized that um, he really wanted to be up front once in a while, um, and he was always not always open. just once in a while. Just once in a while, he did tell us the view was better up there, and he, you know he's onto something. It is better in the front line. But he, um, you know, I think for that particular problem, he was he was frustrated, wanted to be there, and didn't know what to really do with that frustration. So he kicks and pokes. And um, that day after we had that conversation, he, I watched him several times go down the hall and, and not do that because he's looking forward to that opportunity where he can be in the front. So. It's just that, you know, we could focus on him kicking and pushing, um, but instead, you know, we, we listened to him. And I think, you know, we, at least at that particular time, we got a pretty good handle of what we thought the problem was because he shared that with us. And um, we'll see if the solution works. But uh, it's as simple, it can be as simple as that. And uh, it can be more compli- complicated when you're dealing with aggressive behavior, but you still... Uh, there's still ways to have those conversations. I've found those students. The staff who have struggled, what have they been struggling with? I know you mentioned the time issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that um, the time issue has to be handled. Yes, you've got the 15 minutes a day thing, if that's an option for a building. Um, you've got the logical times to do Plan B with a student, before school, after school, lunch, recess, teacher prep time, if the teacher has teacher prep time. So the time issue is certainly there, but each school has to grapple with it and come up with their own ways of dealing with it. And by the way, I should um, mention a decent resource on this. The um, We finally got some of the videos that we showed at the 2012 Lives in the Balance conference, those finally were ready. It took forever. Um, and they are now posted on the homepage of the Lives in the Balance website. And um, one of the other schools that's been participating in the project, Durham Community School in Durham, Maine, um, is uh, there's a video of them. There's two other schools posted on the homepage as well, down in the bottom right-hand corner of the um, homepage. But if people want some good information from classroom teachers who somehow did find the time, you want to watch the video from Durham Community School and how they overcame the time issue. And that's on the Lives in the Balance website. As long as we're on that topic, and I know we are digressing here, the conference announcement for the 2013 conference is now up. 
live on the website, and um, you can at least pin down the date. Um, those people who might be interested in coming, it'll be in Portland, Maine again. We're planning on making it an annual event in Portland, and this one is called the Third Annual International Summit on Non-Adversarial, Non-Punitive Interventions for At-Risk Kids, and the theme is There's a Better Way. Sorry to take our take us away from the topic, but um, what what have you been dealing with with teachers who um, are struggling? What kinds of things are they struggling with? Yeah, other than than time, we I think um, for some some of us, it's just like I had mentioned earlier. Teachers want to make sure they do things correctly. So I think it was wanting to to know that they were doing it right, and and not necessarily getting. Um, feedback a week later from from Kim, but in the moment, um, I think that uh, if I think it would have been knowing that after the fact, I think having teams of teachers do it might have been um, initially might have been a little bit better because they didn't have anybody to really reflect with afterwards. So I think for my staff, because uh, they're they're very dedicated and they want to do the right thing, that for some of them, since it was so new, that they just want to make sure they do it correctly. The other thing that I think got in the way for some of some of our teachers is the student that just doesn't say anything initially. That they mm-hmm. you say what's up and and you get I don't know and, and you give them some time and you continue to get the I don't knows there. Um, so that I think that was difficult for some of our our teachers. Uh, having met with you a while back uh, a few weeks ago and. and a couple of my teachers took away just the reflective piece when a student says something, just reflecting it back. Um, and I know we we probably heard that from Kim, but just having having uh, the, the FaceTime with you and, and seeing you do some of these conversations really helped some of those teachers that were um, questioning their own abilities. So I, not that they couldn't do it, but that even I have a teacher who... Um, doesn't probably think she's really good at it, but she's very good at it. Um, but it's just that confidence that I think got in the way or gets in the way with some teachers. And the interesting thing is um, there's so there's a lot of information about this model. I mean, the basic concept is pretty simple. Challenging kids are lacking crucial skills. Those lagging skills are especially problematic in the conditions in which they're being demanded. Those are called unsolved problems. The goal is to solve those problems instead of unilaterally and emergently, collaboratively, and proactively. So all of that, um, you know, uh, if you ask me the most basic elements of the model, there they are. But once you get past the basic elements, there's finding the time to do it. There's getting good at drilling for information. And you're right, the strategy I've been telling people if they, you know, there are five drilling strategies that I've, uh, you know, delineated, but if, if five's too many, then you can actually do a reasonably decent empathy step of plan B just by doing reflective listening and asking for some clarification. So what I'm always telling people is if you can't think of what to say when you're drilling for information, just say whatever the kid just said and see if the kid can give you a little bit more information than what you got. Um, those are some of the things that get into people's way. But what happens is people will hear the information for one time, but there's a lot of it, and a second time, but there's still a lot of it. What I find is people give me this feedback all the time, especially people who've come to like 10 or 12 of my talks, Mm 
and they'll come up to me and say, you know, you said a few things today that you always have said, but now finally I was able to hear it. I've sort of worked my way past the basic parts, and now I'm much more able to hear everything you're saying because, well, there's really a lot to this model, and it's a lot to digest, and sometimes you just take in what you can take in, and then you can't take in anymore. Um, that happens too. So it's possible that um, you all had heard to just use reflective listening. It's possible you hadn't, but sometimes people hear it in the beginning, and sometimes people sort of got to get their sea legs under them before they can actually hear things along the way. Yeah, I agree exactly. I think that's what what happened to some of us. And uh, another piece that's really hard when you when you're drilling for information, it's, it's we're so trained to try to solve the problem immediately that when students are giving us information, uh, instead of really listening, I think sometimes, and I'll speak to myself sometimes, um, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where's he going with this? Where's she going with this? And is this the real problem? And once I keep telling myself to to stop that and just listen, uh, students give you a lot of good cues and they give you a lot of good information if you just take the time to unbiasedly listen to them and and uh, you know when you're done because, you know, if you say is there more, they'll tell you more. When when you say is there more to that, they won't tell you. So it, it really works. And it's just retraining, um, you know, retraining our brains not to always try to uh, think we know what's happening in that particular situation mm-hmm. and trying to solve the problem before prematurely before we really know what it is. I've um, been telling people lately that, having a totally unbiased take on the world is extremely difficult to achieve. We are all um, influenced by our biases and our, you know, past experiences that color our present experiences, even if our present experiences aren't identical. Um, But it is an art form to take a problem that a kid is having and um, approach it in a way that is free of adult biases and adult preconceptions. Very hard to do. I should mention we've gotten a few emails as you've been talking, and I want to repeat the call-in number if anybody wants to call in and ask Mr. Carlson or me a question about what's been how Georgetown School has been um, getting there. Uh, moving from the way they were doing things, which was a little more traditional, to the way they want to be doing things. The call-in number, once again, is 646-727-2691. We only have about uh, 14 minutes left in the program. Let me read you a few emails that I've gotten as you've been talking. Um, People sometimes email during the program. This one says, uh, this is speaking to the time issue, in the beginning, Plan B does require a bit more time, but in the end, it saves time. Similarly, as the teacher and child collaborate and solve problems, perhaps this idea of working together translates to the entire class and facilitates a better sense of community with the teacher and students. Do do you feel that that has been true in terms of how things are going in your building? I think in the larger sense of the school community, for sure, you know, because I think individual classrooms, we we use, um, you know, an approach that um, the responsive classroom approach and a lot of my teachers use that and so that kind of generates that community but I noticed like we're so small that everybody knows 
everybody knows everybody, everybody knows everybody who's having difficulty. And in the larger school community, when we're solving problems together, um, like I'm, I'm doing it with students, I have, you know, our librarians doing it with students, it's not just the classroom teacher. So um, we may see a student having trouble out in the playground, and, and now um, my staff's getting comfortable going up and, and having um, or, or finding time to have that Plan B conversation. So I think in the in the larger sense, it's it you know brings us together more um, than just in the classroom. Um, so yes, I would I would agree with that that it, it certainly improves uh, school community. Here's another email. Does viewing the lagging skills as a developmental delay of sorts, a learning disability similar to a math or reading problem, help to change lenses of how the teachers see behaviorally challenging kids? What has your experience with that been? Yeah, um, I, I would also say that, that we were learning that and, and agree with that, that um, it's really easy with especially with students with behavioral problems, to like focus on the behavior and then come up with a, uh, a behavior plan uh, that adrenaline. most of the times it's a reward type of system. Um, and what I've found over time, I've been doing this 22 years now, that um, that may have short-term effects with students, um, but over time, you know, those systems just just don't have the, the legs and they don't they don't sustain themselves. Um, when when you're dealing with a student with a disability, um, I think it's with a, you know with a, whether it be a learning disability or a cognitive disability. Um, as long as you are aware of the issues that they're having, um, you can tease those out and really look at um, what the unsolved problem is, what the lagging skill is. Um, more than just, you know, they have problems with math. Yeah, they have problems with math because they might have a math disability, but there may be a, there's usually a, a bigger um, bigger issue there uh, once you start having those conversations. Um, so, it, you know, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question exactly uh, the way it was asked, but uh, I think it's it's real important to to know what students' limitations are, but also to really look at those lagging skills as they uh, fallen for the whole uh, the whole life, not just you know one one area that they might be struggling with, like math or, or reading. Um, but there's usually a, a, a bigger issue going on there. Mm -hmm. Where where's your school at now? What do you think? Um, what work remains to be done? What progress have you made? What's your um, status report on your building at this point in terms of getting to where you hope it will be? on implementing the model and, and helping behaviorally challenging students. Where are y'all yeah. at? We uh like I mentioned, I really feel like we've we've rounded a corner and we're um in the last few weeks uh there have been more um plan B conversations happening in the building. Um it's it's kind of our go to um uh solution now is to have that conversation first, which I know you advise all the time anyways, but it's it's hard to make that shift. So I think we're definitely there at that point with, with um, some of our heavy hitters. We're doing that. Uh, we've put in a um, support uh, time for right now for the teachers uh, who are trained for the core group, and um, we meet every other Friday for 
coffee, tea, and plan B to talk about uh, how teachers, if they have questions, uh, if they want to share something that went well or get some feedback uh, on a place they're stuck. And um, we've had a few of those that have gone really well. Uh, we, you know, we're moving, we're moving forward and we have more teachers that haven't been in the core group asking questions and wanting to um, sit down and watch a, a teacher do that. We've had uh, that happen a couple of times. And we are going to start uh, one Wednesday a month, um, start rolling it out to our whole staff and really focusing on the lagging skills and, and getting teachers comfortable with, with that uh, piece of it first. And um, by the end of the year, we hope that uh, teachers that weren't trained will be having those conversations on their own. That's our goal. And next year, we'll we'll start the year, hopefully, with, with every teacher in the building feeling comfortable having Plan B conversations with their students. So a few things. First of all, I want to make sure that people heard the name of your group, uh, Coffee, Tea, and B, did I hear? Coffee, Tea, and Plan B, yes. Coffee, Tea, and Plan B. Do you all have T-shirts printed up? Uh, we're, we're talking about it. We're, we're hoping to get some. <laughs> And this is a luxury um, to be able to get together to talk and think about how we want to be understanding and helping our behaviorally challenging students in our building better. Do people tend to like meeting, even though they do have to talk about what's going on with themselves and with the students who they're struggling with? Yeah, I think um, I think it's going to be uh, successful for us. Uh, we're still new in the in the process. We started that this spring, but um, I I've I've taken a lot of it. I know uh, uh, other teachers have as well. Um, it's just nice to be able to say, okay, I I had this conversation. This is what I thought went well, and this is why I got stuck. Or you know, you know, I went in the other day and I said I want to have this conversation with a student. This is what's going on. Can you help me really nail down the the lagging skill because I was I was struggling with this particular student with that, and it uh, you know it's it's nice to have like I said it's nice to have feedback. I was trained as a social worker, so I'm accustomed to that. And I think as my teachers do it, they'll be accustomed to to um, having feedback and taking that. So that's you know I think we're we're in a pretty good spot right now. If you had asked me last year if we'd be here, I probably would have said no. <laughs> so feeling good where we are. Well, and what nice that speaks to, have you to in the building. good. Well, I'll be back. What that speaks to is the fact that um, getting there is hard. Um, there are times when it feels like you'll never get to where you want to get. Um, that's usually right around when people are first starting to do Plan B and not feeling especially successful at it, and that if people persevere and get a little support. And, of course, not every building is going to have the type of supervision that you all have had through the auspices of this grant. And um, I'm sure not walking through the door in most buildings to uh, make sure that things are going okay. The good news is what we've just been talking about will be now posted on the Lives in a Balance website in the listening library. And um, that's quite the resource for lots of educators who are striving to improve the discipline program in their building. We only have about a minute left. Any final thoughts, perhaps comments for any school that is contemplating trying to transform their discipline program? Any pearls of wisdom? 
Well, I um, I would say you, you stick with it, and and it does work. And I think I'll be honest with you. I think at first I was a little skeptical, just because I was I was coming out of being a assistant principal at a high school and a high school principal, and um, I was uh, I was like, I'm not sure this is going to be going to be the the one solution we need. But um, once I once I figured it out and learned how to do it, um, it it works. I, and I had a student tell me the other day, he goes, what you doing, Mr. Carlson, isn't working. And, you know, he sent me home, but I'm still probably going to do it again. And, we, you know, we were able to have a, a pretty meaningful conversation um, around that. Did we solve the problem? Probably not right right yet, but we, we're certainly on the road to solving the problem because we opened the doors to having a conversation. We opened the doors to communication. So um, I wouldn't give up. It, it, it does work. And uh, if, if if the old way worked, then, then students wouldn't be sent to the office for repeated uh, offenses of the same thing. So, um, Mr. Carlson, you know, lose by I, trying, might as well try it. So. There you go. I greatly appreciate you being on the program today. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from you telling us about your experiences. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You bet. And we're going to have to call it a day here on Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. But don't worry. We'll be back next week. Take care. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.